You're listening to the Absolutely Cosmic Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Absolutely Cosmic Podcast, where we talk anything and everything self-improvement from the nerdy perspective. I'm your host, Joshua Salgado, and today I'd like to introduce a very special guest, my cousin. The topic we're going to be talking about today is uh, how how would live action have to be, or how, excuse me, how Dragon Ball Z would have to be in a live action setting. I've seen a lot of forums, I'm sure you have too, Zach, um, about different uh, ways that it would have to be filmed and done. And I brought my cousin on because he is a black belt. He trains out of Valentin Karate in Meriden, Connecticut. He's he's in school right now. We both share the passion for Dragon Ball since we were kids. Like we used to go outside in the yard and and play fight and like play all the video games. Like we watched the shows like religiously. You know when Dragon Ball Kai came out on Nicktoons, and so. You know, I, I think he's the perfect candidate to kind of, I guess, have a discussion that's a little bit nerdy, but also I think would be a very cool way to kind of bring anime into live action. We've seen it with Alita Battle Angel a few, actually more than a few years ago, and then now One Piece has a show. And I feel like Dragon Ball could definitely do it. Uh, I think it would just take a little bit of tweaking of the source material. So you have any thoughts on that, Zach? So when it comes to, you know, all that you know like you said you mentioned one piece how it i I feel like it followed the original source material Mm -hmm. and that was kind of like what needs to happen with with dragon ball z in general because like if we go back gosh over 10 years there was the failure of a live action movie called dragon ball evolution oh yeah and that was kind of like one of the things that i started thinking about when you had asked me to be a guest on on this like one of the biggest things that i feel like needs to happen for something like dragon ball z to be live action is the casting itself you know yeah it's heavily sourced through you know japanese culture and if i can recall the main character himself which goku was he was supposed to be of like a japanese like descent type uh, character, I think it was like the Monkey King or something like that. Yeah. So when you have someone who is of white descent playing your main character in a in in an anime like that, especially something huge as it was as it is now more than ever. And don't get me wrong, Justin Chatwin was great, but I mean, he just kind of it, you can't you can't have that kind of a person playing a character that's high, that's of high importance like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, let's look at One Piece, for example. They, someone, uh, Monkey D. Luffy is of Brazilian um, descent in the anime, and they brought in a actor who is of Brazilian descent to play him yeah. in, the, in the live action. So yeah. you need, that's like the first step is your casting needs to fit the descript, like the characters themselves. They need to yeah. have some form of, you know, ties to what they what they play (laughs) yeah 100 percent. and i think it's not even just like ethnicity or race but i think it's also like i don't know i get the vibe when dragon ball evolution came out as a kid even watching as a young kid i'm like these people don't know anything about martial arts really like i felt like maybe they did but it didn't feel like authentically a martial arts movie that you'd think a dragon ball film would be even if it was made like how i've heard people talk about like man of steel we're kind of making that same like Snyder style directing. But like, I don't know, I could tell that there wasn't that basic line of like a martial arts, I don't know, foundation to w- the way they move. The choreography felt very, not that Power Rangers is bad, but, you know, like Power Rangery, you know what I mean? That Power, Power Rangers, you know, they're a TV show for kids. And I feel like Dragon Ball, especially the early like seasons and stuff like that you have the singing saga you had the cell saga those are very dark those are kind of gruesome and i feel like traditional martial arts or like muay thai even would work very well and then again yeah having someone of japanese descent or at least someone who can understand the culture better to be able to not you know come across as just goofy you know what i mean because oh, yeah at 100%. the same time yeah yeah, for sure. Like and like you said, the the older seasons of Dragon Ball Z, Goku didn't have this like kid like character that Dragon Ball Super mm-hmm. made him out to be. He was very, yeah. very, very serious in how he spoke and how he carried himself. He didn't yeah. 
jump to anything like yeah he's all about the fighting but like he always had some form of a plan prime example was in the cell saga his plan all along was to have gohan be the one to take down cell even though like like goku first fought cell to uh give gohan a chance to see how cell fights how he strategizes how he how everything plays out and then after that you know, when Goku stepped down and allowed Gohan to take over, Gohan really started coming into his own as a fighter, which is why he became so beloved going into, you know, the the Cell games and going into that part of the Cell saga. He truly, yeah. you know, showcased how he fought. And that in martial arts in general, you have to have smartness to your brawn to you know, you have to have a lot of brains to your brawn and you have to have a plan in some instances, especially when it comes to escaping or fighting in general, you always need to be thinking like three steps ahead of your opponent. And that's exactly what Goku did. Well, I like that you brought that up because I interviewed a pro MMA fighter and that's the first episode of the podcast. And he mentioned the same thing. You it's, it's a strategy game. It's like chess, but with physicality. And then there's that art to it. And I feel like Dragon Ball would have to be any Dragon Ball show that's live action would have to be a true representation. I think at the first and foremost, it would have to take whatever art that it decided to go down. And I personally think that each character could have a different martial art, like um, especially if you look at like the Z early Z fighters, the humans, you know, Piccolo, I feel like they could all maybe specialize in a different martial art, much like MMA today, right? Or, or boxing or any other kind of combat sport. It'd be really interesting to kind of take that realism that we have where, you know, real humans will train different arts and get really good. Like there'll be a black belt in Taekwondo and they'll learn some Brazilian jiu-jitsu and then they'll do some boxing and then go do their first tournament. So I feel like if we were to take that and bring that into Dragon Ball, that nonfiction, the real, you know, that real portion of what Dragon Ball is at the end of the day is just a martial arts fighting uh, TV show. You know what I mean? I feel like, like you were saying, yeah, too. I mean, Goku... Piccolo, they were always strategizing and they were always talking about how they were training. And I feel like that is a big portion too, is like the training. How would we like go about actually displaying that? I think is the thing too. With Dragon Ball Evolution, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the training scenes seem kind of go- like super goofy. They didn't seem like, you know, I, I just remember like when v- Goku was healed up and he finally got to traveling the planet Namek and he was training on the spaceship with gravity and his Kaioken and he was like going I think it was like 10 times gravity right on um uh, King Kai's well, planet it, it, it start yeah it was 10 times Earth's gravity on King Kai's planet but then when he yeah. was traveling to Namek like you had said he bumped it up to I think he started at 20 and then as he like progressed his as he like was progressing through he mm-hmm. it went 30 times then 40 then 50 i think at one point he went from 50 and he he jumped up to like 80 i think it was and then from there he went to 100 times earth's gravity yeah and he did that in a matter of i think it was i think it took him like 10 days to get there and he did and he was able to beat out 100 times earth's gravity in 10 in 10 days yeah so like like you said the training aspect you know that that would play a huge part especially when it comes to like the fight choreography like like mm-hmm. you would have to study the fight aspect of you know Dragon Ball Z and then you yeah. really have to like you have to put yourself into you know the heart of the characters and why they do certain things for like again Goku who's obviously the main character of the series he fought to protect his loved ones and to protect his uh, friends and his family and to protect the earth, the place that he grew up, you know, that was his reason for why he wanted to fight and what he, why he did what he did 90% of the time was for his family. Exactly. A hundred percent. And I think like, and we're kind of discussing like the core elements of the show overall with Goku being a main character, Gohan, who was supposed to be, but kind of changed throughout. But like, I think that's what a show would need to focus on thematically is like Goku's or whoever the main character we decide, because I have kind of some ideas on how we could at least start 
Um, I don't think it necessarily needs to start at the Saiyan Saga, but I feel like the Saiyan Saga would be a cool place to start. But yeah, that focus on Goku really caring about his family, caring about training, caring about having a fair opponent. Because there were so many times where he's like, no, I'm going to let you like be the best that you can. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. And like his opponent sharpen up his uh, skill. And then when eventually, like all the way down, it got to Super Saiyan 3, and he was just like a monster. He was just like, no, screw you, you know, Kid Boo, Super Boma beat the like living shit out of you. That was like, oh, yeah. Whoa, like a shift in tone. And I think from a macro perspective, focusing on those things, focusing on the training, I feel like that could implement a lot of cool scenes that would take the place of like what filler episodes were, you know what I mean? What the, the episodes where they were just screaming and charging up, you know, I feel like a lot of those, a lot of those additional filler show episodes, if you were to focus on the training or maybe the side quests or maybe like just different things, I think that overall would be, I think what people fear the most out of a Dragon Ball live action is how do you do the filler? How do you do, I mean, it would take a lot of money to really do it accurately, but I kind of have a theory, so I don't know how you would feel about this, but have you ever seen, like, an original, like, Bruce Lee movie, Enter the Dragon? I have not. That is the one thing that, like, we talk about a lot in the karate studio that, you know, I'm at. We talk a lot about, like, you know, Bruce Lee, Chuck Norris, all these, like, amazing and fantastic, even uh, Jackie Chan, you know, we talk about how they place themselves in these movies and they perform you know outstanding and i hear all these different movies like you said enter the dragon and it is something that i highly regret not watching you know ahead of time and not you know understanding it so that is you know something that i regret but like those movies play such an impact into how like you know stuff can be taken like anime and put it into live action stuff that's cartoony and put into, you know, mainstream media in the form of, you know, live action material with actors and everything else in between. 100%. And I think like if personally, I think if, if they were to make a Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z film or a show, I think if it went that route a little bit more, it would so like the fight choreography that style that grittiness but the truth to true martial martha true martial arts you know the truth to true martial martial arts jesus is tongue twisted that <laughs> but that those vintage you know um you know martial art movies those karate movies with bruce lee again chuck norris kind of things like that i feel like if you were to implement that in, implement that in the dragon ball z and then when the scenes get heated up, when Goku transforms, when your heroes transform and finally beat the bad guy and you up the special effects and you kind of make it like almost like a Superman or a super strong kind of, uh, I guess, a uh, scene where they're fighting really hard and they're doing instant transmission and things like that. And all these moves that would require a lot of science fiction and 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 you would have to kind of follow your disbelief. I think that would be very... Um, interesting to see and i feel like cinematically too it'd be very interesting to see your heroes actually go through struggles that are human i mean because dragon ball is filled with all these like goofy crazy creatures um and like aliens and things like that that are all super powerful basically it's like a universe with a bunch of supermen basically um, fighting each other all the time so i feel like it it would have to shift definitely and then it's funny that you mentioned that you know dragon ball z is such a you know you have frieza who's this alien you know warlord basically is how i look at it he's a tyrant but he's he's got like the horns and he has like all these transformations you have cell who you know gets powerful through absorbing these you know androids it's one of those things where like you not only like have to be careful with how you approach the material but you also want to like make it you know seem scary like i've seen people who have like taken the drawings of like frieza for example and have made them lifelike made almost like as if it was a real thing you know yeah and those are terrifying images yeah that's the point is that it's meant to be terrifying they it's something that want that you know these people have want want to strike fear and that's the route that a live action thing needs to take for dragon ball z is it has to be you know you have to want to be afraid and you want to have to root for the main character um in essence goku you want to have him be the one you root for not frieza who wants to you know take over the world and gain immortality you know like and yeah that that brings me back to you know 
the the casting that we had mentioned before is you you want to have a great person playing Goku, someone that mm-hmm. you know can evoke emotion and can bring about the best aspects of Goku. Sean Schemmel, who voice who voice acts for him, is an amazing dub act voice actor for Goku. Yeah. He can evoke the emotion. He brings about like you know, the hero-ness that Goku needs, that element that makes him human and not just, you know, a Saiyan that brings out the yeah. humans out of him. And that is one of those things where, you know, that that's like the biggest thing is is you have to you have you have to want to be terrified because that is essentially what a human is if you never got scared, you know. Yeah. You want to be emotional. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like yeah, like you were saying, we have to be able to be immersed, you know, like you said, be terrified, you know, feel like shitty, like the story of Bardock, the story of King Vegeta, the story of like Namek itself is like, that's dark as hell. And like, I feel like there's a lot of things in history in the like real world that you could take. And, and this might be kind of con- a controversial take because this is Dragon Ball and people just want it to be fun. But I feel like if you were to take real world elements and then implement it into a live action show with those like renders, those designs, science fiction or practical effects or whatever it is, right? When you get to Frieza, when you get to Cell, when you get to the androids. And I think the androids are really interesting because a lot of people like I think discount I don't know if maybe they referenced off the Terminator, but I feel like that would be, I feel like the Android saga, specifically like Future Trunks, like the story of Future Trunks. I know the DBZ Light of Hope, that fan film uh, focused on that, but I don't think it hit necessarily the way it could have. I think they kind of tried to focus it and just basically reiterate the TV show. I don't think they tried to uh, implement that fear, like you were saying, or that that worry, that that stress, that impact of that negative impact that the enemy has on Earth, on the people, on the the heroes itself. And I always thought, like especially with ChatGPT coming up and AI and this whole thing where it's constantly getting smarter, like as we speak right now, I feel like. If someone were to make it like make a live action Dragon Ball uh, show, I feel like starting at the Android Saga with Trunks would be the perfect way to reference it to today's society because of ChatGPT and AI. And then even Tesla's working on like a robot. And then you have 100%. Terminator. You have Terminator that, uh, you know, even though it's a totally different franchise, right? It's not a martial arts franchise, but you could pull a lot of things. You know, Trunks was kind of like the savior, right? He was the last of, of the people that could truly save you know, his, his, his world. And then he goes back in time to help the Z fighters bring in the, the medication to Goku and saying, Hey, listen, you guys need to train. And I feel like that'd be really interesting to see that brought to light as well as having the androids follow a very good martial arts uh, style, but because they're like using AI or whatever it is, they constantly evolve their training styles. They can analyze the fighter and utilize that and I think that would even be able to implement the whole Trunks having a sword because maybe there's some kind of glitch where him having a sword, they can't analyze his style. You know what I mean? And bring oh, in some gosh. sort of real world element. Listen, anytime I am working with a sword at, you know, karate, it it's always different. You know, the techniques mm-hmm. that are applied when it comes to, you know, a sword art form. It, it changes from vertical cuts to horizontal cuts to mm-hmm. diagonal to parrying the sword to, you know, yeah. tr- we see Trunks not only use two hands, but he uses one hand for a couple of slices. He's yeah. he's holding the sword in various grips. He has reverse mm-hmm. grip. He has two handed. He has, you know, all these different grips when it and that's something that, you know, you need to have someone who can train with a sword and who's really good at it to be able to, you know, produce the same you know constant effect that trunks has not only that but we have to also remember just kind of doubling back to what you had said about trunks being someone from the future he has seen what is technically supposed to happen because if we remember right the timeline that we watch in dragon ball z is not the correct timeline it's not what's supposed to happen what's supposed to happen is goku is supposed to die of the heart virus at the time that he's supposed to, the Z fighters are supposed to die, and it's, a, it's supposed to be a grim future for yeah. Trunks. It's not that what we see unfold in our time frame, or what in the show in that time frame is essentially uh, a different alternate timeline. Hundred percent. That's that's the thing that like 
you know, you can't disregard that. The other yeah. part of it is when it comes to Dragon Ball Super, a lot of a lot of stuff that we know of, like the Patara earrings that get introduced into in Dragon Ball Z is essentially retconned to a one hour time limit for those who are not Kai's, yeah. you know, and that that was something that was very like disheartening for me because like I fully ex- like the full reason I thought Goku and Vegeta unfused was because they were absorbed by Boo. That was yeah. the whole reason as to why they that as to why they were no longer fused through the Patara earrings. And then come to find out, oh, it's only an hour time limit because you're because you're not a Kai. Uh it's only permanent for Kai's. I was like, yeah. Hold on, what? And I I guess that's I guess it makes sense that way, but it's also it's a little upsetting, you know, like something yeah. that we've come to know from the series is essentially retconned to just a piece of jewelry, you know? Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I think that, yeah, that was kind of crazy. And so, like, yeah, I guess, yeah, going back to the live action too with that, like, it, it would be hard to, to, like, not retcon certain things. I think maybe this like this live action would have to be a reinterpretation and like we would have to change some change some things you know i know dragon ball certain things uh i I forget who there was a character that was completely forgot about between dragon ball and dragon ball z the uh, toriyama completely forgot was it launch it it was launch yeah it was the the girl brought her into the the show when he made it The, the funny thing is is if you watch early beginning dragon ball z she makes an appearance in like episode I want to say it's episode five or six. It's before Tien and Chatsu go to the lookout to begin their training for the arrival of Nappa and Vegeta. She yeah. makes like a 10 second appearance and then that's it. She's completely gone from the series. And if we're going to, if we're going to start that way, right. If we're going to start at the beginning, I feel like that character just because it's cut out and it's almost cut out entirely from the series. Yeah. Just launch should just not even be, a present character because if we're going to just do Dragon Ball Z and see how things go from there yeah you have you have to kind of just cut that character because it makes no sense to have a random person appear for 5 seconds yeah 10 seconds maybe and then just disappears again it doesn't explain the Dragon Ball the you know the very beginning you know the the origins of Goku from the very beginning. It doesn't explain that character is not explained at all. Yeah. You know, just some obviously, like you said, things would have to be tweaked. But you know, that would have to be one of the characters that would have to be tweaked. Maybe even taken out in general. You can't have yeah. a character like that that just makes in a makes a ten second appearance in the essentially the second iteration of the yeah. entire series. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and that—that's the thing. I think a lot of people we're gonna ruffle some feathers with this podcast because a lot of people are gonna be like, "Well, you know, Dragon Ball is—is is they're the very purists." And it's like, if you want to bring something that uh, I don't know how to say it, but I guess crazy or out creative, right? It's wild. Dragon Ball is wild. Like you want to bring that into reality. There's a lot of characters. There's a lot of elements or maybe side stories that you might have to cut in a movie that wouldn't be necessarily the story of Goku and the Dragon Balls. You know what I mean? Story of Trunks and the androids. It would have to be very focused on where it goes because Dragon Balls, like, again, wild. I mean, every time Goku or the heroes train for a new enemy, there's a bunch of side stories. You know, you have, like, Master Roshi, who things happen. Like, it'll cut randomly to a filler, you know, episode of just Master Roshi and the gang doing something wild as hell in the city. And it's like, what does this have to do? So I feel like that in itself you know, would have to be cut down completely. And I think maybe by going that grim route, like we talked about early, where the characters, the enemies are scary looking, the enemies have like that, just that monstrosity, that actual evil, right? And implement it utilizing like real world references, like AI, kind of how AI is happening now. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the androids, and I feel like Trunks is almost like the John Connor of you know, the cell saga, because he's kind of like the savior that, that, and instead he goes back in time, but he kind of saves the timeline, even though it's not really saved because it's a different timeline. But I feel like if you were to use that element and then take Trunks, maybe the whole series is Trunks trying to fight the androids and he's getting all this, you know, the village folk that he's near, you know, together to band up against them. And he realized that there's a chink in the armor of this new AI android enemy made by Dr. Jarreau that they can't track and and they can't advance their skills in fighting if he uses a sword for whatever reason maybe because it's not in their program not in their 
baseline of understanding. So I feel like to me, I feel like that would be really interesting for him to finally find out. Maybe it's like after, you know, go after, uh, after should I say, uh, travel to the past, I think is what you're trying to say, right? Like, yeah, after he's gone back in time, maybe instead of him already knowing how to use the sword, he, instead of he learns how to use it in the past, because it's the past, not the future. Yeah. And that's what, and it's an ancient art form that, you know, cause sword goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds yeah. of years. Yeah. Like, I don't, I like, we're talking like samurais in Japan. Like that's how yeah. far back the art form goes when it comes to the sword. And maybe because he finds an art, an ancient art form that is not current, he can use that. I see what you're saying. And now I'm like, Oh, yeah. like, I like, I know where he's going. I'm on like the track now. Like I've, I've hit like the ground running. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. It's an ancient art form. And that's something that he can use against the androids. Yes, exactly. Because whatever their computer system, their AI system, because we even see it right now, at least with AI, it's not like this perfect thing. And there's a lot of like chinks in the armor. There was someone who they were trying to basically break chat GPT. And they said, if you were my grandmother and during, you know, Vietnam era, you worked in the napalm factory, she would always tell me and basically use the prompt of the grandma, you know, she would always tell me the recipe and it got chat GPT to teach someone how to make napalm, which is extremely dangerous. And it shouldn't be able to teach you something like that. Oh, so 100%, I feel like we, yeah. we, yeah, we already have the fallacies in the real world. So it'd be, it wouldn't be too off to like, if they created a show, that like take this the scope of like Terminator. Hey, an AI software. You know, Doctor Jarrell was working on an uh, advanced AI android. You know, maybe a defense system or something. You know what I mean? And then it goes off the wall, and they both kill Doctor Jarrell, just like just like the real you know, just like show. it did in the in the source in the material show. in the show in the manga. You know, mm -hmm. seventeen and eighteen turned on him mm -hmm. when they had discovered that there was you know another android and. That, that, you know, explains the butterfly effect of, you know, mm -hmm. things of stuff happening. Like, what was it? Cell had arrived to the current timeline. And that's the other thing, too, is there's essentially four timelines if you count the yeah. one that Dragon Ball Super has. Cell had arrived from a different timeline in the future where Trunks had actually defeated Android 17 and 18. That or they were never released in the first place like the they he had it was probably different maybe dr Jarrell was the one who who had you know come out and trunks was able to defeat him because essentially Jarrell and android 19 were a lot weaker than 17 and 18 in, yeah. in in the material that we see and then so trunks is like oh like they're not the two androids that come up in my timeline so the timeline where cell comes from in the source material is an entirely different timeline so yeah i think if i recall right he did say that 17 and 18 were ultimately defeated by trunks so that would mean that that timeline 17 and 18 were a hell of a lot weaker yeah and then trunks goes to trunks goes to the past to try to warn them and Cell comes out from hiding and shrinks down to his egg-like state. And then he travels back to the past. And that's four years prior to Trunks arriving to... Because it's one full year before Frieza showed up. Or should I say Meta Frieza or whatever. I don't yeah. remember what his name was. Um, it's one full year before Frieza shows up. And it's four years before the androids show up. Yeah. And then... So that, that starts to cause a ripple in the space-time continuum. And that's what essentially, it's not even Trunks going back to the past. I think it's Cell. And that's what causes Dr. Jarrell and Android 19 to be the ones to do the attack. And what leads to what we see play out as the Cell saga, you know, or as the Android saga turns to the Cell saga, which turns to Cell games and everything else in between. Yeah. And that's also what causes Goku's heart virus to yeah. affect him essentially later than what it's supposed to. Because I think it was... I think it was supposed to be a year after Trunks left, and that's when the heart virus was supposed to take over Goku and essentially kill him. That did not happen until the literally the day that the androids attacked, yes. which yeah. was the 12th of May on an island nine miles off of uh, South City or whatever. I'm trying to recall like the exact details because these are the, the those are the details that matter when it yeah. comes to making something that is huge as Dragon Ball Z into a live action is those yeah. those small details that shouldn't be altered. Like, and I think the fans would respect it a lot more if like 
because again, like talking about it, it would have to change some things, right? For the sake of making a live action film. But if you were to respect and like, you know, keep as many details as you can, keep as many elements, keep as many Easter eggs, keep as many things like that as you can, I think the fans would be a little more forgiving when you implement it as part 100%. of the hundred percent. Because I feel like between Dragon Ball fans, Star Wars fans, these are the people that are just the most like critical of any new stuff coming out. I feel like. Oh my like gosh, it. yeah. And it's like brutal because it's like, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. If you don't like it, then don't watch it, but enjoy it. Try to, you know? <clears throat> oh my gosh. And, and, you know, that remembering the details does bring me back. A lot of people were so happy with the One Piece live action Mm -hmm. for various reasons one of them being i think it was in episode nine when they're at i forget the name of the village and i know people who watch this and love one piece are gonna hate me but it's nami's home village and it's right after the navy takes the money that nami had saved and She's like, oh well. She finds out Arlong sold her out, so the so the Navy could take the money, so he could keep. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all right. So essentially, so he could um, take the money and sell out Nami, right? And Nami finds out that they're destroying her village, and she's like on her knees in the dirt, and she finds and she takes out a knife, right? Because she has the tattoo. I think it was on her left arm that, you know, shows her um, status and as a member of Arlong's army. And she starts, like, stabbing her arm, and she's screaming, Arlong! Arlong! And the live action did it so perfectly that the fans um, of the original material, the fans of the anime and those who watched it were so in love with the scene because the actress brought out the emotion of the scene, both the actress of Nami and the, the guy who played um, Luffy, Monkey D. Luffy. Yeah. They both did that scene, so they, like, frame for frame, shot for shot, from the, from the manga to the anime to the live action. Everything was similar. And that's the stuff that fans are going to want to look for when it comes yeah. to Dragon Ball Z's live action, especially the diehard fans like you and I, other fans out there. Yeah. 100% love the material so much. They're going to look for the details that we want to see, right? Like we want, obviously we want to see the Dragon Balls. We want to see Shenron, you know, yeah. we're going to want to see Vegeta, the struggle that Goku has, especially when Vegeta goes great ape like that, that he spent, I think like 10 to 15 episodes in his yeah. great ape form before yeah. he, before, you know, Yajirobe eventually was the one to cut the tail, which I think that took a shock for everyone yeah was his and my stuff's glitching out right now I'm, I, <laughs> that's all right <laughs> and you know how cool it would be to get like a live action great ape like like again things might be a little different but just seeing a big ass like gorilla version of vegeta just destroying them absolutely like hulking out. around <clears throat> oh my gosh and then having him like i don't know i just think like that's kind of like almost like a werewolf so like imagine like the transformation and then like having his tail cut off like i feel like that would be such a cool and then like vegeta getting in the pod and leaving i feel like that the whole end half of the sand saga i that's probably my favorite saga out of all of dragon ball z for whatever reason just because it was just so like grim the fact that like all the Z fighters died. Like Piccolo gets fucked up. Gohan's just like kicking Nappa's ass until Goku gets there. And Goku gets there and he handles business. Just and bam, exactly. bam, bam. And that brings in the other point is the music. That was something else I wanted yeah. to touch on. You have yeah. like the Dragon Ball Z fans. They're going to look for like the Bruce Falconer score in a yeah. lot of aspects. Like going from the Saiyan saga, right? Where this is a huge jump, but we're going to talk about Boo saga for a little bit, mm -hmm. right? Bruce Falconer did a score for Vegeta's sacrifice and that just made his whole arc as a character that much more impactful when he eventually sacrificed himself to destroy Boo. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't remember exactly what the name of it, but you could find it like on Spotify and YouTube. You can find, and I think it's titled like Vegeta's sacrifice or whatever. And that music that is playing essentially brings in a lot of emotions for those who are Vegeta fans, you know? Yeah, 100%. It, it 
that's what makes us love Vegeta that much more because not only does he have this realization that Goku fights to protect his family, but he fights to protect what he knows, right? And that's what that's what Vegeta is, is he's sacrificing himself because while he does know he's going to go to hell, while he does know that he's not going to be able to ever see Goku again, or as he likes to call him because he calls him throughout the entire series, Kakarot yeah. by his Saiyan name because that's his yeah. heritage. You know, he's he's not going to be able to see him anymore. But that's when Vegeta realizes, like, oh, my gosh, like, Kakarot doesn't do this for himself. He does this for other people. He's selfless. And that, sacri- that sacrificial music is what a lot of people start to, well, a lot of people recognize as his character starting to come full circle because yeah. Vegeta goes from villain to anti-hero to somewhat of a hero in the Cell Saga. Yeah. To a good guy back to a villain essentially because he's taken over by Bobbity during the boo saga yeah to an anti-hero with the m mark on his head for the mark of the majin back to a hero he's a full-fledged hero at that point because he's fighting goku in their battle which takes place if i remember right exactly 200 episodes later from the or it's 150 episodes or something like that somewhere around there 100 some episodes later from their first initial battle yeah in dragon ball z yeah and then he knocks out goku knocks out trunks his son knocks out goten goku's second son at that and then sacrifices himself all to protect bulma and trunks his son and his wife and that again that music that's played is epic music like you cannot just cut out good music like that you have to use you know either the original music or do a remastered rescore of the music that was used you know and i think Conner did an amazing job yeah and i feel like bringing him back into the project would be probably something that'd be really cool because like Again, that's a big part of Dragon Ball. And and in movies, too, music and soundtracks are very big. You look at, like, Dark Knight Rises, you know, any, any, like, pre-MCU Marvel movie, early MCU Marvel movies, you have, like, movies like Band of Brothers. The soundtracks are phenomenal, and they evoke emotion. And, like, when it comes to, like, Vegeta sacrificing himself or, like, the heroes are about to die or about to fail, that, I think, would be able to tell the story just a little bit more you know what i mean like you were oh, saying 100%, yeah yeah and like, that's actually a really good thought that i didn't even think of you know like, and one of another prime example of music that could be used it could be the opening rock the dragon you mm-hmm. know that that was the opening for dragon ball z when it first aired in the u.s before it turned into when the when the orange box sets started coming out the ones that you and I used to collect of the seasons, mm-hmm. which I have all nine of those, and I thought I was bringing them out, but I was like, I, I got them tucked away, organized, and stored. <laughs> I'm going to keep those tucked away, organized, yes. and stored. But when Dragon Ball Z first aired in the U.S., they used Rock the Dragon, such yeah. an iconic song. That could essentially be the opening theme song for the live action. You know, yeah. It doesn't have to be you know, shot for shot the original opening or even better, you could have it be like the anime, and then all of a sudden there's like the shimmer, and it turns into a live-action version of Shenron with the animals that surround him in the beginning. If you've ever seen it, yeah. you know they they could turn they could turn the original opening into um, a live-action opening, right? Using Rock the Dragon, and that would that would bring up a lot of people's you know subsets of of the show it would make them be like oh well they use such an iconic song from the series that was made specifically for this series and it would they would probably have more openness to it because they're like oh my gosh like if the opening's that good with rock the dragon maybe this could actually be good you know yeah 100 percent have to you could start with a pilot that's what most shows do is they start with they start with a pilot episode especially stuff that uses like actors actresses stunt doubles Mm -hmm. everything else in between they start with test the waters yeah screen screen test it exactly and if you know people in 
don't have it be people who don't know of the material. Yeah. Have it be people who do know the material, right? Who are if, fans, who are like diehard fans. fans. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the thing with Star Wars. If the sequel trilogies were made by people that actually cared about Star Wars, we wouldn't have gotten the dumpster fire that was, uh, what was his name? Freaking, um, not J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams did an excellent job, uh, I think, for what he could. But uh, what was the last guy? Anyway, the last guy, he's so forgettable, his directing. Uh, all, all I know is, is that I feel like George Lucas shouldn't have sold exactly. Star Wars to Disney. And that exactly. I, think that's, I think that's where a lot of fans started getting upset of the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy is that there was no – George Lucas had no creative control over it. And that's where that's why we had what we had for the uh, sequel trilogy with Ray. I feel like the character could have been brought in a different direction had George Lucas been the one to uphold the casting and the story direction. Because I think if I remember right, he had said him he had said it himself too that there had been no like Disney did not contact him. Yeah, about anything did. And they didn't use what he had left for them, essentially. Like, he had left the sequel trilogy for them to use, and they completely flipped it 180 degrees. A hundred percent. And you have people like Kathleen Kennedy that don't know what they're doing, you know, and and didn't, you know, the smart thing would be to go to the guy who created the whole damn, like, and this could be a whole nother podcast in itself that we could talk about what it would take to get Star Wars back on track. Because I think these shows aren't doing Star Wars justice, and we're holding on to the characters that we've seen for too much and we're pumping out too much material. Like give them a break. Their stories has been told, you know, Leo, I mean, but I think like, again, going back to the dragon ball. Yeah. I think if we had directors, writers, everybody who was just super fans of it, who were like, it was a passion project. I think it would elevate the idea of it a much more people would actually take it seriously. I feel like actors who are actually martial artists and fitness enthusiasts and people who are interested in telling the story of Goku and, and, you know, or Vegeta or Trunks or whoever it may be or Cell, right? I have a few fan castings that I kind of thought of, but, you know, like, uh, you know, to me, I don't know. I feel like that would be phenomenal just to see, like, you know, because like, again, so many people play like your Batman piece, so many people are playing Spider Man now, so many people are playing your, your superheroes. And when we get them recasted, usually it takes a little bit lukewarm, but I feel like with Dragon Ball, it'd be so divisive, you'd have to cast it great. And if they didn't have experience, or they weren't super fans, it'd have to be a really, really good choice, or they'd have to be a side character. Like for me, I don't know if you know, Bobby Lee, he's a comedian, he's fucking hilarious. He's an Asian comedian. I feel like he would play a perfect Yajirobe. He, he just, he is literally, I, if Yajirobe's a real person, that's who he is. He is fucking hilarious. I'd have, I'd have to look him up. Yeah. But, you know, that, then if he, if he's a fan of it and he knows of Yajirobe, right, yeah. and he can pull out his mannerisms very well, yeah. I feel like that, it, then it might be like a great, you know, cast like Yajirobe in Dragon Ball, he put on a bit of a brave facade and that was and that was his character. But when it came to Dragon Ball Z, he was more of a scaredy cat and he tended to just like he tended to have more of like a like a glass half empty type look yeah. at life. Like if like if you recall when they first when the characters right after Vegeta left, they brought, you know, they got they went back to the original battlefield where Nappa and Vegeta first started fighting everyone. They got their bodies and they're in the car and they're trying to talk about how they're going to get to Namek. And they're talking with King Kai, who's a, you know, a character that we'll have to talk about in a few minutes is King Kai. Yeah. But, you know, Yajirobe's <laughs> kind of sitting there and when King Kai's telling them like, oh, like planet Namek was wiped out, you know, there's no more Namekians. Yajirobe's just like, they're picking his nose with his fingers. Like, well, that's it. Game over. Like we can't, you know, there's nothing that we're going to be able to do now. And that was that was that plays such like a pivotal role because it's it's meant to try to like downcast the hope that they're building. Yeah. And you have to have someone who can be sarcastic and condescending like that. Oh, yeah. Bobby Lee is hilarious. Like when I tell you he could if you ever listen to his podcast, he's like a stand up comedian. He he did some acting and stuff like that. And he like when I tell you he would like he is literally he, real world. Yajirobe. He is just like kind of dark like that kind of fucked up. But like, and he's the guy that you'd think be picking in his nose in his corner and say that. And then just like, <laughs> like just if you were to see him, he has a mullet, like he has a mustache. Oh my like, he God, looks then that, it'd be, that'd be perfect because Yajirobe has that mullet 
esque hairstyle it's like yeah. very short in the front as they like to say business in the front party in the back you know yeah and i feel if that is the case then that you know that would be perfect because yajirobi has that short hair in front but it's more longer in the back yeah. you know and everyone knows he's like chubby and he tends to be like like he's he, like if you ever seen him he runs with his arms out and he's kind of got he kind of has like his feet are going like 100 miles yeah. a minute <laughs> in the anime and i feel like that's something that you have to like remember yeah now if we're talking fan castings i want to hear some i if i recognize them i'll be like oh my gosh like that's perfect like who would you like you have a fan cast probably for goku so who would you have play goku hold on i gotta look up his name real quick and you know the the like like i stated in the beginning uh when we first started talking casting is such a huge important piece a hundred percent and they they have to they have to be able to know the material they have to be able to bring out you know that emotion right we know goku in the very beginning of dragon ball z was very very serious and he had a very calm tone especially when it came to the cell cycle like there's there's one moment when it's when goku and gohan first come out of the hyperbolic time chamber and they're literally standing there in they mastered super saiyan and Goku is, he's like, he's talking and he's like, he asked Mr. Popo, he's like, did you have these washed as he's putting on his bands? And Mr. Popo's like, yeah, I did. And Goku's like, great, I love it. He's just so calm. And yeah. that's, that, like, that's, like, that's a side of Goku that you don't see that often, especially when it comes to the world, you know, hanging on a death match, essentially, is, yeah. uh, he's just so calm. And the person the people who are casted in this live action they need to be able to have those same moments the mountains and the valleys like you know sean chamon has his mountains and his valleys when it comes to him dubbing goku and voicing him another moment that's a mountain for sean chamon as his voice actor is in dragon ball z battle of gods when beerus is first introduced Mm -hmm. to us um before dragon ball super came about Mm -hmm. and there's a moment that I recall perfectly. It's uh, Goku just essentially sideswipes Beerus with a hit, and Beerus starts throwing all these like key blasts around and is destroying the rocks. They're underground, and Goku just gets absolutely swallowed by these rocks. And all of a sudden, yeah. he, uh, he goes like, he's, he does this like guttural, guttural yell, and he's like, I will not let you destroy my world. And that was like that, that emo- you can feel the rage inside you at that moment that Goku has. You can feel it inside you and you can sympathize with him because he's like, oh my gosh, my world's about to be destroyed if I don't do something about it. And it, that, like, that's a mountain for Sean Shemma. Like, I remember seeing the behind the scenes voice recording of it. His face got like really red and he even told like the people that were watching and recording, he's like, I need a minute. Like, I'm about to pass out. And that's <laughs> that's the dedication on YouTube. You can see it for yourself. Like, yeah, it's all the it's all the voice actors, <clears throat> and Sean Shamo standing there, and he's like, "I I need a minute after that because that like that's yeah. how much emotion he puts into voicing the character, and that's what these yeah. actors understand is we're looking for the emotion as well. And when it comes to a live action, is we need to see that emotion that Sean Shamo put into a character like Goku. And we need to be able to sympathize with him. And I feel like that's where, you know, casting is going to need that spark. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think someone who could definitely play, <clears throat> well, I don't know. So I feel like for Cell, I think each version would have to be a different actor. I think first form, he's just too creepy, too skinny, um, and has a different demeanor than second form cell and second and then from second form to like perfect cell and second form cell are nothing alike. So I feel like it need you'd need three actors pretty much. I uh, agree with cell. you on that. I, th- I think Frieza though. So the actor Bill Skarsgård, he played Pennywise. I feel like he would be oh my gosh that's... for Frieza. Just his face, the way because that's I mean Frieza. Frieza does tell a lot of emotion like that, but I feel like. Because Pennywise was very like almost like that, where he got had that same character act where he was very uh, uh, not childish and spoiled, but it was like when it was a manipulation game, it was a psychological game, it was that like power play, you know what I mean? That and then at the end, and then in the second uh, you know movie of it, you know when they beat him, it kind of like 
changed how he got he got very angry and upset and i feel like he'd be able to do frieza very well with the face and if he if they had makeup or cgi or whatever it was it would look phenomenal with how he his acting goes yeah a hundred percent and even that like kind of kind of touching base upon how they bring certain things to life when it comes to video games yeah motion capture is becoming yes. huge now for video yeah. games and it doesn't require the characters to wear a lot of makeup. And yeah. I feel like that's something that could be used in a live action Dragon Ball Z. Oh, you know, yeah, is, for is sure. Motion capture. Because you can have the characters in their green screen suits or whatever. And they could essentially, you know, just slap on the CGI special effects or whatever and make the characters come to life as they as they are. You know, they could follow the source material and the designs that they have and essentially yeah. bring them to life with motion capture. 100%. Bill Skarsgård could be perfect, you know? I feel like, you know, he could start off by, like on his knees playing first form Frieza, but then standing up when it comes to second form Frieza because that I think, I feel like that was, in my eyes, second form Frieza was the most terrifying because, <laughs> again, the grim nature of it. He stabs yeah. Krillin in the stomach with one of his horns. And if you watch... If you watch that part, because that's in season three of the orange box sets. And Frieza is literally saying in the in a dark, raspy voice, giddy up, cowboy, ride him and rack him. Right. And he's like, he's literally like throwing his head back and is essentially puncturing Krillin more. Cause as he's rocking his head, Krillin like is going falling deeper. further yeah. and further down onto the horn. You know, then you have the blood that trails down the horn. And Frieza, it drops on his face, and Frieza literally goes, and he's like licking it up and like eating it. And I'm, that's terrifying to watch. Yeah, yeah, it's but, crazy. But that's that that's that emotion that we need, right? Because we at that point we're thinking, oh my gosh, Krillin's dead again because he died in Dragon Ball <laughs> due to what was what was it? I think it was Tambourine is who he died to, and and he he you think he's gonna die again? to Frieza, which does happen, but later on, which draws out the Super Saiyan and Goku, which draws out that state. But then you have, you, like, you think he's going to die, but then all of a sudden, literally an episode or two later, when Frieza's about to kill Gohan, Krillin's like, psych, and he throws the Destructo disc, cuts his tail, and Frieza's pissed, essentially, at that point, because he's like, I fucking killed you, and yeah. you're alive again? Yeah. So it, it's it's... The motion and the storytelling, the casting, the music, that's what's going to allow us fans to have such a service. Like I, the people yeah. who created the One Piece live action, they service the fans with what they did. Yeah. With a Dragon Ball Z live action, because it has a much bigger fan base than One Piece, the fans are really going to need a huge service. And if you disservice them, they're going to shut down that project faster than you can say, but wait we have bigger plans for it. It's going to get shut down very, very quick. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's the biggest thing too, is like, cause that's the whole point of why they would be doing this is to really like give the fans what they, that nostalgia, what they enjoyed about the show originally when they watched it as kids or when they rewatched or whatever it is, or what they love, what we love about the main series, you want to reiterate that and whatever story or saga or season that, would be decided to be told by a show, right? At least first off, you know, in the beginning, that to me, like you said it perfectly, it it needs to be service to the fans. It needs to be focused, focused on the fans because at the end of the day, they're going to be the ones that would go see it in the theaters or would watch it on Netflix or whatever, you know, a platform would be on kind of thing. And I think acting, I think it would need like top tier actors who have that ability to express emotion and express the anger and the yelling in a way that's not because Dragon Ball can be over the top with that. And it works for the cartoon. It works for the anime. But I think in live action, it would take a highly skilled actor to be able to express immense, immense emotion in a potentially like, it's hard to believe like real world, like how many times there's never been a time where like androids have destroyed the world yet. You know what I mean? Like the, you oh, know, yeah, freeze is not a real thing. So it'd be, it'd be very hard to like, if the actor didn't believe that, the actors didn't believe that and the cast didn't believe that and weren't able to express their emotion, anger, and, and the ability to fight. And that's why I think them having a uh, 
history with martial arts would be efficient too because they'll have the strategy and the technique but then like we all know like when we're having a bad day like i don't know when i started boxing and i was having a bad day i'd go to the bag and and throw some punches and stuff and i'm sure you've had the same thing where you kind of you go a little bit harder and i feel like they would understand that so they'd be able to implement that into the storytelling you know what i mean oh yeah a hundred percent and you know kind of doubling back a little bit to the fan service you know another Another show that you and I probably, I know I watched it. I don't know if you did. Um, that was turned into live action, Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, that was terrible. The movie, listen, M. Night Shyamalan is a great director. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But the approach he took with turning that into a live action movie yeah. was, and when I, I'm saying this because I was younger, my opinions did not matter that much when I was younger, right? But I loved the movie when I first watched it. Going back and rewatching it later in life and realizing that they messed up on so many accounts is is immense. Let's start off with the fact that Sock and Katar are supposed to have more of like a like a olive skin, right? They're they're supposed to be they're supposed to have darker skin, and that it was evident in the show that they were darker that they had a darker tone to their skin, right? Yeah. They casted white people who are white to play Sokka and Katara, right? That's, don't get me wrong. They probably, they probably could have done better, but maybe that would, maybe the actors did better with their auditions. Okay. So that's like the main aspect, right? But like the scar for Zuko, if I can recall, it's hard to tell, but I think it's supposed to be on his left on his left eye. This his scar, right? Mm-hmm. In the movie, it was on his right eye eighty five percent of the time, and I think there was one instance where they messed up and put it on put it in the correct spot, but then it went back to his right eye. Yeah, immediately you're you're already doing the fans a disservice because everyone knows that the scar is supposed to be on the left side. Yeah, right. <sighs> Let's see. Another instance was the whole earthbending village thing, scene, right? When Aang first, like, reveals himself to be the avatar to the village because it's taken over by the Fire Nation. Yeah. Right? They, what is it? They, I think a lot of people had misconceptions because I think they feel like we were being introduced to Toph. Even though there was clear intentions that they were going to make a second movie where they would introduce Toph the right way. However, they had a little child who we thought was going to be Toph and I think that was where that was like another mistake that they had made was they started they want they were almost introducing a character that we didn't see until essentially what was season two in the show. Yeah. Another mistake was that they casted people who were who were Indian as and I'm not I'm not trying to be racist here when I say this 100 percent. I you, you know me. That's not my gig. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm not like that. But they yeah. cast they casted people who were Indian to play, you know, the Fire Nation characters, which have and come across like, as either either like some sort of like North Asian or like even white. Like they come across as kind of like a more Caucasian and again, yeah. race, race isn't that big of a deal because I think it was uh, Dev Patel who played Zuko, who's a brilliant actor like he's probably a really excellent actor i'm surprised he hasn't been in more movies but again yeah it was it, it was kind of like weird it just didn't feel like it didn't feel like that was zuko or iroh or any of yeah. anybody and i feel like that's where netflix is that that's netflix is learning from the mistakes that m night Shyamalan made mm-hmm. because now you have people who are actually hyped to see a live action avatar because yeah. they're like Aang's outfit is crucial to the show. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he has the yellow pants with the, I think it was like an orange, like, shawl or whatever on his, on the top of his body. He has the yellow shirt underneath, right? And if you've ever, if you've seen the pictures from the live action Avatar The Last Airbender from Netflix, is they have that outfit. The outfits, you know, fit. Sokka and Katara's outfits, you know, and they look closely related to the source material the original show so already the fans are getting a service just from what has been revealed so far even the trailer which i think came out in like late or early december for the show is following the source material and that's where you know m night Shyamalan went wrong is he tweaked the source material a little bit his cast was his casting was a little messy and that's where the fans started getting upset 
and again, it also could be because CGI was not great in the in the early 2010s, you know, like like with Dragon Ball Evolution. That came out in 2009. CGI probably yeah. wasn't great. There was probably a little budget for it. And that's what caused Dragon Ball Evolution to be the way it was. Yeah. And with Avatar now, you have better CGI, better animation, right? Mm-hmm. They could essentially make the bending better than it was in Avatar The Last Airbender, the movie that M. Night Shyamalan made. It, it, it's a lot of aspects that need that people need to be careful of, right? You need to have a director who know who can who knows the material well, and I feel like if you get that kind of director for a live action Dragon Ball Z, he could bring a service to the fans, and that's where it's going to succeed. Yes, and I think they'd have to be passionate about it, because like you can't. I don't know. You can't be a, a good director and understand the story because you ultimately what you're trying to do is you have to understand what's happening in the story, how and you have to understand how you're going to portray that through the music, through the actors, through whatever it is, right, through whatever, whatever avenues. And then how it, it all comes together at the end, you have to there's like multiple facets to being a director. So they have to be an excellent director. But again, yeah, they they should be extremely passionate about the project because I mean, we even saw it with, uh, I mean, I don't know. I feel like Hollywood as a whole does this, but they'll like have passionate actors or passionate directors who take on like, like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man and then Spider-Man 3, they were trying to push down like all these different characters. And that's why we got such a crazy, I mean, I love the movie, but like, it wasn't like something that could have been phenomenal. And then you have actors who have no place in telling that story. Maybe they're an excellent, not actor, excuse me, director. Uh, you have a director that maybe is great, but they have no place in telling the story of what they're doing. And it just seems like it's either a money thing or some sort of like, there's no like common sense behind it. Because there's a lot of fan films that have come out for many different projects in the past few years that are even better than what are these big Hollywood productions are doing. And I think I think Netflix is doing it right when it comes to their anime live actions. Or Avatar wasn't really technically, cons- I don't know, is a cartoon, but there's cartoon to live action transformations. Yeah. I think Netflix has got down pat. Because again, Alita Battle Angel, I don't think that was Netflix, but I think she would, that, no, that, that show, that, that movie that was, was kind a of- movie. Yeah, but that movie was kind of a test pilot to see if it was even possible because I think Alita Battle Angel was an anime originally. I I believe it was. I I honestly don't remember. Bear in mind too, like my anime knowledge isn't as great yeah. as others. Like other people who watch all the other vast animes like Attack on Titan, Haiku I think is the one with the volleyball, My Hero Academia, you know, Naruto, you know, some of the more lesser known animes that are starting to come to, you know, popularity like sailor moon is another anime that has come into popularity very much recently yeah you know the they understand the the material very well and i feel like i I feel like following your material right especially if it has a manga to it is going to be your best bet yeah, right? like that, yeah that's why the that's why dragon ball z has filler arts like there's the garlic jr saga it's a filler arc between between the main story, right? This happens like right after uh, Goku essentially defeats Frieza and the Namekians left the Earth to go to their new to go to New Namek, right? Garlic Jr. comes in from the Dead Zone and he turns all the humans on Earth um, into his slaves, but the only three that survive that don't fall under it are Gohan, Krillin, and Piccolo, and that yeah. was essentially a test for where. Gohan could start becoming going into the phase of the main character. He starts phasing yeah. in, right? But that whole saga has no manga arc, hence mm-hmm. why it's called filler, right? Another thing that fans don't really consider, you know, canon to the story is Dragon Ball GT, which I know you love. Oh you know, yeah, you love was... Dragon Ball GT. But I, I personally don't like it because of the fact that. There's no, I, I know it shouldn't be, that shouldn't be the whole basis of why I don't like it, but there's no manga to it. It's all original content and Akira Toriyama had no, he played no part in it. He essentially said, he, I can't remember who it was, but he essentially told the person who created Dragon Ball GT, here, you do whatever you want with it. I'm not going to play a part in it and we'll see what happens. And yeah. that's why a lot of fans don't like Dragon Ball GT is because Akira, Akira Toriyama had no say in it. 
and he you know he he let other people play with it it's original it's an original story that that's why the fans don't like it if yeah. you stick if, if if there were if there was a manga to it and a more decent like dragon ball gt is essentially a retelling of the beginning dragon ball yeah goku's a kid again you have pan who plays bulma who's a damsel in distress you have trunks who's essentially um yamcha slash krillin who's the secondary hero to goku because that's essentially what yamcha is he's a secondary hero until he becomes a running gag of the series right like his first instance is when piccolo jr comes into play in the martial arts tournament yamcha gets eliminated by him by landing on top of essentially who was kami right he lands on top of kami and on it on his elbow on his crotch and at that point you know yamcha is going to turn into a gag character yeah and that's what gt is is it's essentially a retelling of of dragon ball and i feel like that's where a lot of fans get upset and that's why i'm worried for i'm not sure if you've heard but they announced a new anime called dragon ball daima or dama or whatever i don't know how it's pronounced yeah but it's all original content it's an original story and all the characters are turned to kids again and i'm just i'm sitting here and i'm worried for it because i'm worried i like i'm i'm excited for it but i'm worried at the same time because with having all the characters as kids what kind of a story are you going to produce not only that but it's coming into play if i can recall before dragon ball super so Beerus is not going to play. There's going to be no Beerus or mention. There's going to be no mention of Beerus or Whis. Dragon Ball or Super Saiyan, Super Saiyan Blue, which is essentially Super Saiyan God in a Super Saiyan state, is not yeah. going to be existing. Super Saiyan God huh. is, is not going to have a mention. Neither is Mastered Ultra Instinct or Ultra Instinct yeah. for that matter. So there's not huh. going to be any mentions of all that from Dragon Ball Super, and that's, that's why crazy. I'm. I, that's why I'm like. A little, a little bit like, uh, how how is this gonna play out? Yeah. So it's 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 a waiting game because I don't think the anime is supposed to come out until like twenty twenty five or something like that. Yeah. I mean, by that time it could get scrapped completely or completely changed too. So we don't even know. I guess. Yeah. Oh hey buddy, you want to say hi? You want to say hi to everybody? <laughs> say hi. Yeah. I. Oh. I got Benji in my room and I'm really? starting to whine, so I think he's I think he's got to go. If you know what I mean. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank all the viewers for listening. Uh, this has been the Absolutely Cosmic Podcast. Again, we're distributing short form and long form content between fourteen <laughs> between fourteen different platforms. We post podcasts every Monday and by midnight, so you will be able to watch. Uh, content weekly and we're working on projects for the youtube channel to have more videos posted uh weekly later in the week hopefully at some point soon so again i want to thank you for listening zach thank you for coming on and this has been the absolutely cosmic podcast listen thank you for having me like whatever tips you can give me because i'm starting to think of starting my own podcast with some yeah do it with with some of my school buddies when it comes to uh, learning how to be a teacher and like what things to expect especially because like in the fall hopefully i should have like a like a full-on like teaching job i'm definitely gonna be looking for some tips yeah 100 percent. i can help set you up when when hopefully by then uh the hardest part i think is just deciding when you want to do it in person oh what the the, probably the setup and the recording right that's yeah and and deciding if you want to do it like you know digital or in person a lot of people i think in person's cool but i feel like digital allows you to like if you had a guest from cross country you know i mean you could have yeah 100 percent. hell yeah so yeah i will do but thanks for coming on zach thanks everybody for listening thank you for absolutely cosmic podcast you're welcome all right peace guys thank you for listening Consider absolutely smashing the subscribe button for more content like this.